Hello and welcome back, fight fans, to episode 195A of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. And as you see, the new issue of Boxing Monthly Magazine is out in stores. And Alexander Usyk is on the cover, of course. Uh, finally made his heavyweight debut last month, and I was lucky enough to be ringside for that up in Chicago. So, you guys, make sure you check out the new issue of Boxing Monthly Mag. We got a lot of stuff to review, not a lot of news to go over. So we're not even going to do any news and notes. There's really not much to talk about on that front. But your assignment for this week, if I could ask you guys, is to check out TNC on Podcast Addict. So we've just been added to Podcast Addict. I'm not exactly sure what even that is, but I know it's for Android users. So I know a lot of you guys that have Android, I don't think you could get iTunes and stuff on your phone. So you can't get TNC on iTunes. But if you've got Android or you've got boxing peeps that got Android, please spread the word about TNC being on Podcast Addict. We are getting added to platforms all the time, platforms that I don't even know exist. But I got an email last week or over the weekend saying, hey, you're on Podcast Addict now. Okay, cool. So I thought I'd tell you guys about it. Be sure to go check that out. And of course, as always, spread the word. All right. Uh, Let's get right into the review, guys. We got a bunch of stuff. I mean, it was a loaded weekend, particularly Saturday. It was a loaded Saturday because there was a big event featuring the number one guy in the sport, Canelo Alvarez, right? The biggest financial draw. So whenever that happens, everybody else is going to uh, pile on. So that's what we saw. But really, these other cards... They weren't very good. We'll go over them real quick. So Friday, November 1st, uh, Sacramento super featherweight prospect Xavier Martinez, uh, 22 years old, improved to 15-0 with a KO1 win. Uh, He's a Floyd Mayweather guy. This was a Mayweather card on Showbox on Showtime. Yeah, Showtime still has some occasional boxing, believe it or not. And then uh, go right to Saturday, November 2nd, Katie Taylor over in the U.K., Beats Greek fighter Christina Linardatu, uh, who coming in only had one loss to Delphine Pearson. I talked about that last week. And so Katie Taylor becomes um, a two-division title holder, wins the WBO super lightweight title. Anthony Crawler fought on that card, got a majority decision win. Most people felt he lost that fight and that he got a gift. He basically said that was the last fight of his career. He said that going into the fight. So, um, you know, he kind of had phoned it in. It really wasn't him, his old self. He was halfway mentally checked out. But anyway, he gets a majority decision win in the last fight of his career, officially uh, retires. So Anthony Crawler carved out a good, solid career for himself. I mean, honestly... Guy was, I'm not going to say journeyman, but a fringe contender level guy that carved out a really good career for himself, made some great money and everything else. So uh, good for him, you know, and good luck in retirement. Here's to hoping he stays retired. Guys, uh, quick, quick reminder, smash the like button. If you're watching right now on YouTube, please smash that like button. That helps me out a lot. Even you haters, you want to smash the thumbs down button, go for it. Any reaction is good reaction is the way I see it. So also on Saturday, we had uh, several cards here in America. Top Rank and Zanfer had a card on ESPN at the Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California. Not the best of cards from Top Rank, who, in my opinion, has kind of had... They've had some good fights. They've, I mean, look, Better BF Vajdik was one of the top five fights of the year. 
Uh, Vasily Lomachenko is cleaning out the lightweight division. They're doing some good stuff. They had a good unification fight between uh, their guy, Jose Carlos Ramirez and Maurice Hooker, but that was over on the zone. So Top Rank has done some good stuff, but Top Rank on ESPN, probably the weakest of the big three platforms this year, right? And um, yeah, this card, man. I mean, all right. Lackluster crowd, a bunch of mismatches. It is what it is. Jerwin on Cajas, he was supposed to defend his super flyweight title, but there were visa issues with Jonathan Rodriguez, his opponent. So that fight was scrapped. Maybe it'll still happen later on, but it was not on this card. Miguel Burchelt, KO4 win over Jason Sosa to defend his WBC 130-pound title. This was the sixth defense for Burchelt. Dropped Sosa in the second round and fourth round. Fights in that loaded 130-pound division. Remember, he had talked about fighting Jamel Herring before, but Jamel Herring fought Masayuki Ito. I think I got that name right. Give me props on that because that's a hard one to remember. I knew I knew the last name was Ito. But anyway, I think Burchell and his people felt that Ito was going to win that fight. And when he didn't, when Jamel Herring won and they saw the way Herring could box, I think Burchell wants no part of him. So he's called out some other guys. Let's see what happens. For what it's worth, I mean, Burchelt winning the title, you know, you go back a few years ago, he had some good wins, and he was really starting to build up some momentum, and then he's just kind of slacked off, and he just hasn't fought uh, really, really the top fighters in the division. I'd like to see him unify and go after one of the top guys. Hopefully that happens for him in 2020. It's freaking time. It's overdue. Now, there was a PBC card on FS1 from TGB Promotions at the MGM National Harbor in Oxon Hill, Maryland. The big fight, Canelo Kovalev, was at the MGM Grand in Vegas, but there's an MGM over in Oxon Hill, Maryland, and that's where this card was. Uh, both two Gary Russell brothers. There's, there's 5,000 guys in that family named Gary Russell. They just have different middle names. Two of them fought in that card and scored early KOs against Pizza Boys. Brian Castano scored a retirement win over Wale Omotoso, the Nigerian. He injured his left shoulder, could not continue. So that was kind of a disappointment. And then Javier Fortuna scores a TKO2 win over Jesus Quajar, who has now lost three of his last four. Quajar down the first and second round. And I know everyone pronounces it Quajar here, but the guys from Argentina and everyone I've ever talked to from Argentina says the L's is Quajar. Anyway, uh, so another lackluster card. Just these were just, there were events to keep guys busy on a busy boxing weekend, I guess. But the big show, of course, was from Golden Boy Promotions and made events on the zone at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. So there's really no reason to talk much about the undercard because it wasn't very good. The female fight, there was a female flyweight fight that turned out to be pretty good. And there was some blood in that fight. And um, Sanicia Estrada wins her uh, second title in her second division from um, Marlon Esparza, who fought with a mad, crazy gash on her forehead. And, uh, you know, was able, I think finally, I think it was before the 12th round, I can't remember the exact round, told uh, the ring doctor she couldn't see. It was bothering her bad enough where she really couldn't see. They stopped the fight. Oh, real quick, we got a uh, super chat pledge from CJ Duncan. Thank you very, very much, CJ. I appreciate it, man. Glad to have you on. He says, terrible seeing the zone, the bow to UFC like that. Hashtag MOB. You're so right, brother. And I'm going to rant about that in a second here. I promise. Because that was crazy. I, I've never seen something like that before. So that female fight was pretty good, right? 
that flyweight fight. And then that comes into the Ryan Garcia versus Romero Duno fight, which turned out to be dog shit. So Romero Duno came into this fight 21 and 2, 24 years old, a prospect originally from the Philippines that now fights and trains out of LA. And I told you guys last week, because a bunch of you were on here saying Duno's going to give him fits. That's a really competitive fight. Yada, yada, yada. I told you guys, Golden Boy Promotions knew what they were doing. They would not sign a fight like this if they felt Duno was going to present a real challenge to him. Like when I say real challenge, guys, I mean push him. I mean make him have to fight. I mean possibly hurt him, push him back, whatever. Duno wasn't going to do that, okay? Now, did I think it'd be over in one round? No. Garcia impressed with that. Although the left hook he landed was literally to the back of Duno's head. Duno brought it on because he bent over. There was a right glancing right hand that landed before, but Duno was trying to roll with it. He was trying to move under, and then he ate a left hook to the back of the head. So, look, Garcia, you know, it was a shot to the back of the head, but it was an impressive KO1 win for him. But hold on, got to pause. We have another super chat pledge from uh, iZombie117. Thank you very, very much, iZombie. I appreciate that. He says, who will Canelo fight if he fights at 168? I promise you, brother, we're about to get into that. I promise you, because I actually think that's where Canelo's going next. I don't think he's staying at 175. I think he's going to go down. He's not going to go down to 160. Maybe one day for some super big fight. I just don't see it because he doesn't have to. I think he's going to 68. Callum Smith is where I'm leaning, but we'll talk about options here in a second. I promise. Thank you for the super chat. So anyway, Ryan Garcia gets that KO1 win, improves to 19-0. He's still only 21, still 5'10", still has that 70-inch reach at lightweight. Sky's the limit as far as being a prospect for him, but how does this translate and develop into him becoming a contender? I don't know. Is he anywhere near the level of a guy like Devin Haney right now or even Gervonta Davis, someone like that? No. He's not even close. In my, again, I, I've said this a thousand times. Virgil Ortiz is much further along. I, just, I think he's a better prospect. There's things Ryan Garcia does that I like, but he still fights undersized guys that don't have a lot of punching power and are, quite frankly, come in. The scouting report on them is a little overrated. The Southern California Boxing Press, the LA Boxing Press, I talked about this last week, and I talked about it recently, recently with a fight, uh, Shakur Stevenson's recent opponent. It was the same thing. You know what I'm saying? where sometimes the media, particularly the, the amateur, you know, um, I don't know how to say, internet media, part-time guys, which is the vast majority of the media, hangs out in the gyms and hangs out and gets to know some of these guys, they overrate them a tad. And there were a lot of people in the fight media saying Romero Duno is going to be a big challenge for Ryan Garcia. I just didn't see that. I, again, I thought it'd go rounds, don't get me wrong. But I just didn't see this huge challenge for Garcia. So, yeah, the KO1 win here, he did his job. I'm impressed in that sense. But did he climb the ranks in my mind? Is Do I rate him any higher now than I did before? No. This fight proved nothing to me. I'm not trying to be a harsh critic. It just didn't. Guys like Devin Haney and, and, and again, Virgil Ortiz. Javante Davis is a, is a titleist. Now Devin Haney is too, although I still consider him a prospect. Those guys are so much further along. So Garcia still proven himself, in my opinion. He has some amazing tools, still proven himself. Now, 
That fight got done. I want to say it was around 11.30 here on the East Coast. So they're in Vegas. It's 8.30. It's still early. And that's the beauty of being a West Coast boxing fan, a West Coast fight fan, because I'm sure it's the same thing with the UFC. Man, even Monday night football, Sunday night football, Thursday night football, being in California, it's awesome. I remember that. But here on the East Coast, and we matter too, (laughs) and we have some pretty big markets over here that matter. Uh, Look, man, 1130 when that main event's going off. Now, that's about the normal time. I'm sorry, when the co-main was ending. That's about the normal time. Usually the main event for a big pay-per-view starts right around midnight on the East Coast. That's normal. You know what I'm saying? And that's, that's not uh, too late. On a Saturday night, that's not too late at all. However, in the infinite wisdom of the zone, which you guys know, I've been a supporter of what they're doing. I like a lot of things the zone does. I get called the zone shill and all, there's all these rumors that the zone is paying journalists to speak well about them, which is absolutely false. It's not happening, but I have to be critical here. They made a decision that I get, there was a big UFC, I guess the biggest UFC card of the year was going on in New York on the East Coast. And they wanted those, that, those fans in that market, the, the junkies who, who wanted to watch the better fight in their mind, I guess, if you're a UFC fan, to jump over after that and watch the Canelo fight, the Canelo Kovalev fight. So they decided to pause and delay the main event until after the UFC's main event. Something like that has never happened that I can remember. Guys, correct me if I'm wrong. Not only that, the executives at the MGM Grand called Dana White, literally called Dana White and said, hey, can we show your main event here on our Jumbo TV in the arena so that everyone that's sitting around waiting isn't just standing there with their dick in their hand and can watch this fight? And he agreed. Why the hell wouldn't he? The Zone does feature MMA, but they feature Bellator, which is a direct competitor. I think the only major competitor that, again, correct me if I'm wrong, to UFC. So they pay money to broadcast Bellator. Who knows what they had to pay? Well, that's the Zone does. But the MGM executives start airing this UFC fight, this main event, on the zone, which broadcasts Bellator. So if you're Bellator and you're paying the UFC and you have a deal, or I'm sorry, if you're Bellator and you're, you're paying the zone, you have a deal with the zone worked out, you're probably pretty pissed off that their card, now to be fair, it wasn't broadcast on the zone, but it's a the zone card and there's a UFC event playing on the Jumbotron inside the MGM Grand before DAZN's main event. I mean, you just can't make this shit up. It's so bizarre. It's so weird. So after that, after this UFC thing is done, right? And I I think uh, Masvidal is the guy's name. He beat uh, Nate Diaz, right? Who recently failed a drug test, but I guess they worked all that out. It was a mistake. I don't even know. I have no idea. I do not follow MMA. Don't know shit about it. After that, finally, Sergey Kovalev and Canelo Alvarez, who were gloved up, they've been taped up, gloved up, warmed up, way before, like an hour before the main event. They were showing them during the zone broadcast, sleeping, laying on the couch. Canelo, Canelo was kind of walking around a little bit, but Sergey was literally laying on the couch and taking a nap 
which pretty much everyone on the East Coast was doing as well. I can't even imagine you guys in the UK and stuff, what, what you were going through. But you guys are already late, up late anyway to watch our events. But um, then there's these ring walks, which take forever. And I found it interesting that Sergey Kovalev had to do his ring walk first, even though he was the champion, then Canelo. But then they reversed it when, when they did the ring announcements, which I, I just don't understand all the grandstanding and diva shit. That, all those demands came from the Canelo side, by, by, by the way. But then there's three national anthems. And I'm thinking, dude, why you have an hour-long delay? Oh, I'm sorry, a 90-plus minute delay. It was over an hour and a half. Get the damn national anthems out of the way then. Get all that shit out of the way during the 90-plus minute delay between the co-main and the main event. But no, after all that, we had to wait all this so for the people at the MGM Grand, you guys could go get drinks. And I know a lot of people, even media, press people, were going and getting drinks during that huge layoff. It's happened before. I'll admit, you know, you've, you see it a lot, okay? When, you're, when there's that big of a layoff, even the press people get pissed off. And they're like, what the hell, dude? So they'll go get a beer. So the people in the arena were having a good time, whatever. But everyone watching on TV saw an hour and a half of... Babble, useless, inane, babble. The same fight week chat, the same 40 days chat that we saw on all those preliminary shows, all these interviews, all the fight week radio podcast stuff, right? We had to get 90 more minutes of that. And they even brought on a few other media guys that had kind of been on the zone for the first time. I think Keith Eidick was there. Now, Keith Eidick's a guy who's been around for a long time. Radio Rahim was on there. And they both did a good, good job. They both really did a good job. But what can you say that hasn't already been said? Have a walkout fight ready. If that's the decision you're going to make. And apparently this decision was made during fight week. Okay, It's not like it was made that night. It was made a day or two before, from what I understand, from what I've heard. Have a walkout bout ready. Have something, dude. Have some shoulder programming. Have a plan B, a plan C, a plan D. I got to give it to PBC and TGB Promotions specifically, Tom Brown. They always have two, three, four walkout bouts ready to go. And they are pumping out the fights. I remember when I was at Spence Garcia, there was a delay between the co-main and the main because there was an early knockout. There was a couple early knockouts, I think, on the undercard. Tom Brown had fighters ready. Pumping them out, man. One after the other after the other. Boom, boom, boom. I see Gail just commented that Boxing Media got the word on Wednesday about the delay. So there you go, Gail. My point exactly. I, I heard it was Thursday or so, whatever. But that's several days to get all that shit reorganized. When I was just up in Chicago for, for Usyk and Witherspoon, they literally changed around the orders of the fights and everything the day before the, the actual event because there were some things going on out of their control that they had to rearrange some stuff, but they did it. And they let us know about it. It was last minute. We were getting a bunch of emails, but they let us know. They were organized enough to do that, right? I told you guys in Chicago... For, for that Usyk Witherspoon fight, they were going to do the weigh-ins outside. But the, the temperature literally went from like the 70s to the 30s. And there was cold, almost freezing rain. 
it, within 24 hours. So they rescheduled, they, they didn't reschedule, they moved the weigh-in indoors into the actual Wintrust Arena lobby. It was, it was very, very last minute and it, you know, it was kind of crazy, but they did it. They got it worked out and it went off in, in, as far as the fans could see without a hitch. That's knowing what you're doing. So that was also a DAZN broadcast, okay? But that was also a matchroom card. I just felt it was handled better. I thought this whole situation could have been handled so much better. A lot of it's on DAZN. Some of it's on Golden Boy. And quite frankly, yeah, I'm going to say it. I'm going to get called a hater. But some of it's on Canelo. DAZN wanted this November 2nd date. They wanted this date. So... The date, I'm not going to put that on Canelo and Golden Boy because DAZN was going to have a big fight card on November 2nd because they wanted big fight cards the beginning of October, November, December because three separate billing cycles, they want three months of revenue from fight fans. I get all that. But Canelo should have been fighting around Mexican Independence Day in September. That's his date. That and the Cinco de Mayo date in May. That's when he should have been fighting. So waiting out like this so you can get Kovalev, who they, they plucked, they saw an easy, I'm not going to say easy, easiest of the four champions at that time. Now there's, you know, better, better be of consolidated titles with Vojtek. But at the time, they made the fight. Canelo made the fight with Kovalev. There were four champions, and Kovalev was seen as the most vulnerable of them, and he was coming off a very short camp in a grueling fight. So I just felt that a lot of this diva bullshit, waiting out for opponents, not wanting to do the third Golovkin fight or not wanting to face somebody else in September, whether it was Demetrius, Andre, Charlo, whoever, all the diva shit led to this November 2nd date. And therefore, Golden Boy Promotions, their biggest event of the year, and for DAZN, one of their biggest events of the year. For Las Vegas, probably their biggest boxing event of the year. We're going up against UFC's biggest event of the year in New York. So that alone was a terrible mistake. And then to do this on top of it, who I really feel for, and my buddy, uh, ticket broker Jim Boone, tweeted about this. He was talking about, man... The people at the MGM Grand paid hundreds, some of them thousands of dollars to attend a boxing match. They specifically paid that money to watch boxing live. They didn't pay the money to watch a UFC fight on the Jumbotron. They paid money to watch boxing in the ring right in front of them. So those were the people who honestly got dicked with the most. I just thought it was a gross mishandling. And look... I've been supportive of the zone. Okay. I think they're doing a lot of things right. They're providing the most value of the big three platforms here in America and of any platform globally, I would say, right now for fight fans. They truly are. But this was not a good look, just not a good look all around. It was, dare I say, a clusterfuck. So let's get to the actual fight itself. Uh, Saul Canelo Alvarez scores a TKO. 11 win over Sergey the Crusher Kovalev wins his WBO light heavyweight title. At the time of the stoppage, after 10 rounds, two judges had it 86-84 or six rounds to four for Canelo. One judge had it even, five rounds apiece. 
fan and media scoring ringside there in the arena and on Twitter was all over the damn place. And you guys saw my uh, my show, my live broadcast here on the channel where I was doing commentary at 2 a.m. and I was exhausted. There was a lot of you guys who were all over the place with your scorecards watching here. I told you live what I saw. Watching it live, I had Canelo up 86-84 after 10 rounds, but I could say either 86-84 or 85-85. So I felt the judges' scorecards were legit. That I didn't see, there was all these conspiracies online that Kovalev was getting ripped off and everything else. That's just not the fight I saw. Now, I'll explain why in a second, but let me talk a little bit more about it, okay? Uh, CompuBox. I, I do think that this matters. Oh, I'm sorry, 96-94. SSB28 just corrected me. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. 96-94 twice, 95-95 once, Okay. That's what the scores were officially after 10 rounds. And I, I was right there, right there watching it live. You guys can, can watch my video where I was doing live commentary. I thought 96, 94, 95, 95 were right there. If you had Kovalev up at that time, I felt you were being a little too generous to him. We have a super chat pledge from Max Max. Thank you, Double Max. I appreciate it. He says, Mike, one of your Ukrainian fans here. Love your show. Thank you very much, Max. And I don't know if I talked about this on my show, but my family, we did the 23andMe thing. And um, I found out I'm part Ukrainian. So there you go. Um, I'm not 100% Italian. I, my mom's side is from Northern Italy. And in, I guess the people in Northern Italy, a lot of them are Eastern European people that moved there or whatever during the wars or something. But her side is Ukrainian. So I'm an Italian Ukrainian. So we are brothers. Thank you very, very much, Max. Max, I appreciate it. Okay, CompuBox. Let's talk about this. Canelo lands 133 of 345, according to CompuBox. 39%. All right? Kovalev, 115 of 745. 15%. So, Kovalev threw a lot. And most of what Kovalev threw is the jab. I'm not even going to go into jabbing and power punching. And I, felt, I feel those punch numbers are accurate, guys. What, what I was watching was Kovalev throwing twice as many punches. Canelo was, well, I told you guys, it was going to be the Mayweather special. All he had to do was make Kovalev miss and touch him a few times. He's going to win a round. That's exactly what he was doing. But unlike Mayweather, and this is where Canelo did impress me to a degree. He really, really did. His punches mattered more than Kovalev's. He was throwing, and he was also making adjustments. Kovalev had one game plan, him and Buddy McGirt, and they talked about this after the fight. I'll talk about it in a second, but, well, you know, I'll just say it. Buddy McGirt said that we were not going to throw power punches. I told Sergey not to reach with the right hand, to keep it locked and cocked, to block for the left hook to the body. I told Sergey to not put too much stank on his jab, to just touch uh, Canelo, just touch him, and we thought we were going to mark him up, and then late maybe we could do something. But their plan all along was to go 12 rounds and punch with the jab, medium power, light power, peppering kind of jabs, no power jabs, not the jab that we saw him own the division with for years. They did not want to overreach and get countered to the body. If you throw out a power jab and you miss, it takes you longer to get that left hand back, 
And if you are fighting a good body puncher who's shorter than you and they can get under that power jab and make you miss and reach, they can nail you to the body with a right. And guess what? Canelo did that a few times. If you miss with the right hand and you fully extend on it and try to plant your legs and put your ass into it, same thing. A fighter can slip that, get under it, and tag you to the liver with a left hand. Now, what Kovalev did very well is he did guard for the body shots. You could see he was looking for it. And that's why he didn't extend on the right hand. It was short little touches. He never fully extended. It's hard for me to show right here, you know, on, on the camera, guys. But basically, if I could turn sideways, his right hand never fully extended. His elbow was bent. He was not putting full leverage into the right hands because he immediately was getting that right hand down on his liver so Canelo couldn't go to the body. Canelo, to his credit, saw that and he made an adjustment. Now, I thought Kovalev won the first two, three rounds. He won like four, I'm sorry, three of the first four rounds. But after that, in the middle rounds, Canelo started to make an adjustment. And he started to dip down, do little feints with his shoulder, with his elbow, and loop left hands up top, loop right hands up top. And guess what? They started scoring. They were scoring to the side of Kovalev's head. When Kovalev had his legs under him and had energy, he was able to move out of the way just enough to where those were glancing punches that didn't have much effect. However, Canelo was stealing rounds with those punches because those two, three, four looping shots up top and a few, he actually threw some nice uppercuts to the body, like to the sternum, to the chest, solar plex area. He dug those in the middle because uh, Kovalev was looking for the sides. So he had his elbows down his sides. So Canelo started to shoot uppercuts straight up the middle and he didn't even go for the head. He kind of went for the chest. Those started to land. Those punches were doing more damage. And you started to see the quote-unquote smaller guy, which he wasn't. He was the shorter guy, but Canelo was the stronger guy. But he looked like, according to the tail of the tape and everything else, the marketing here, he was the smaller guy walking down the bigger guy. And that's why he started to get some of those rounds in the middle rounds and then later in the fight. Now, there were some of you out there saying that it was... Eight rounds to two for Kovalev. Nine rounds to one for Kovalev after 10 rounds. No way. That's not the fight I saw, guys. If you're scoring just on punch numbers, because that's what a lot of you were doing. I think you were giving Kovalev credit for technically, in those, some of those rounds, landing more punches than Canelo did. Okay, according to CompuBox, after 10 rounds, Kovalev had landed more punches in five of the 10 rounds. Canelo had landed... Uh, more in four of the rounds and in one round it was a tie so if you're just going by punches punches landed okay right there fine if you have it five four one for Kovalev or even if you had it six four Kovalev I can deal with that however from what I saw Canelo's punches had more effect and that's why I had him up six rounds to four after 10 rounds It's not me being a homer for Canelo. It's not me suddenly being a Canelo dick rider as I'm being accused of being by some people out there. It's me calling the fight the way I see it, guys. This is the hurt business. It's not the amateurs. Who's doing more work? Who's doing the work that matters? Who's being the boss? It's not just about clean punching, which both guys were doing plenty of. Kovalev was doing a lot of great clean punching with his jab. Who is it? Just Azier said Canelo missed widely too. He absolutely did. 
Canelo missed a lot of punches. That, that was something that really surprised me about Kovalev. He made Canelo miss a lot, but Canelo made Kovalev miss much, much more, dude. Kovalev, again, I'm going to repeat it. 15% of his punches landed. 15%. 39% of Canelo's punches landed. That's not power punches. 39% of all of his punches landed. Now, maybe some of that is a little off by CompuBox, but it's not off by that much, guys. From what I, wa- what I saw when I was watching, Canelo is tw- at least twice as accurate as Kovalev, and he was planting his butt and his legs into his punches and coming forward. Kovalev was on the back foot and not fully extending on his shots. That's why I, I felt Canelo was slightly ahead at the time of the stoppage. But if you had Kovalev slightly ahead, I ain't mad at you. But guys, this was no more than 6-4 either way. Any scorecard outside of that is too biased towards one style, one fighter. And you guys know what we do here. It's the neutral corner. We keep it real here, okay? I ain't picking favorites. I ain't taking sides. 6-4 is the most you could go either way after 10 rounds in this fight. So finally, we get to the 11th round. Kovalev's getting tired. Kovalev admitted after the fight in several interviews that after the sixth round, he was getting tired. He was good for six rounds, and then he fell apart in the seventh round. And that's exactly what I saw happening too. And you could see the momentum changing. The rounds were still competitive. I think I gave Kovalev the ninth round, maybe even the tenth round. And that kind of got him back into the fight because I had Canelo up pretty wide up until that ninth and tenth round. But Kovalev was um, getting tired. And suddenly those looping shots up top from Canelo, they weren't just glancing off the side of the head, just sliding off. They were moving uh, Sergey's head. They were, they were, you know, the impact was visible. You could see his head moving off those shots. They were starting to land. They were starting to bother him. They weren't hurting him, but they were landing and bothering him. In the 11th round, and for the life of me, I can't understand why the DAZN broadcasters and so many people online didn't see this. Yes, there was forearms from Canelo, who, by the way, was forearming the shit out of Kovalev all night and referee Russell Moore and never warned him once. There may have been one soft warning, but he was constantly in Kovalev's ass for anything Kovalev did. If Kovalev farted you know, in his corner between rounds, Russell Moore came over and said, what the hell, bro? Knock that shit out. But Canelo, yes, a lot of forearms. There was body work. There was forearms that softened Sergey up. He was tired. But it was a big right hand that landed right on the ear, right on the back of the ear, on the left side of Kovalev's head that snapped his head sideways and threw off his equilibrium. Now, he's an experienced professional. He's been hurt several times in several fights. So in that moment, He played it off, had a great poker face, but he was clearly hurt. His legs moved. He backed straight up into the ropes. He was like two feet off the ropes when that right hand landed. He immediately backed into the ropes. Canelo, being the smart, intelligent fighter that he is, now in his physical, mental, emotional prime as an athlete, saw that. He smelled the blood because when you feel a dude's legs go and he backs up a little bit, even if he's got a poker face on, when you smell blood, you smell blood. Canelo's a shark. So he immediately uh, shifted a little bit, cut off the ring a little bit when Sergey backed up. He had him on the ropes, shifted a little bit so he could get a left hook off. 
The left hook landed on Sergei's temple, the right side of his head on the temple. That's where everything just went. People keep saying it was the left hook that did that. No, it wasn't. It was the right hand before the left hook that did that to Kovalev. The left hook just was a follow-up. And then you saw Sergei's legs go. He was completely done. Canelo again made a nice shift to his right, pulled back the right shoulder. And, because if he would have shot a fully extended right hand, it wouldn't have had the same effect. He backed up, pulled back the right, the right shoulder, and chopped the right hand. It was a short chopping one, perfectly accurate on the point of Kovalev's chin, and he collapsed. It was absolutely a knockout. And there's so many of you guys on here saying it's a dive. Kovalev took a dive. It makes no logical sense. Kovalev gets $12 million for this fight, whether he goes one minute or the, or the whole 12 rounds. Why would you go wait till the 11th round in a fight that's very tight? Very tight. You're officially slightly losing on two of the scorecards, but it's anyone's fight. Why would you wait until the 11th round and take a three-piece to the dome, including a right hand straight to the chin? By the way, he was, un, he was on the canvas for at least almost a minute. And he was sent to the hospital after the fight by the medical personnel with the Nevada Commission who felt he had a concussion. Sergey Kovalev wasn't even at the post-fight presser because he was in the hospital getting medical exams run on his brain. And you people are calling this a dive. Stop. Stop with the dive and the fixed and all this bullshit. Michael Stott, you're saying that this was a fixed fight for him to avoid jail. He still has court time coming up after the, that that court date was scheduled weeks before this fight if he has to go to court in i think two or three weeks in california it's later this month the dive has nothing to do with it you guys got to stop with this stuff man it's not always a conspiracy i tell you guys when i think the scorecards are shitty i tell you when i i, I smell something nasty when it comes to a promotion a fighter something going on with performance enhancing drugs you guys know i always give you my damn opinion and i tell you the damn truth is as far as i can see it sergey kovalev did not take a freaking dive stop i can i can name a dozen examples of five this is just like the whole quit thing with max kellerman a couple weeks ago right there's a difference between a fighter capitulating physically they can't perform anymore they've had enough Versus a guy quitting. Guillermo Rigondeaux quit against Vasily Lomachenko. Oleksandr Vojdyk did not quit against Arthur Beterbiev. And Sergei Kovalev did not quit or take a dive against Canelo Alvarez. Now, here's where I'll give you conspiracy theorists a little bit of fuel for your fire. Okay, I'll give in a little bit. I'll give in this far. I'm drawing a line here on my notes so I can start a new subject. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Sergey Kovalev fought 10 weeks ago. 10 weeks ago. He was almost knocked out by a prospect who had never fought anybody rated higher than a donut delivery boy. Seriously, Anthony Art is a prospect who doesn't even believe in sparring. And Sergey Kovalev, it took all of his skill and will and determination to beat him 
10 weeks ago. He has a few weeks off. He immediately goes into camp. Six-week camp. Six-week short camp. Remember, I was the guy saying, I don't know about this camp. I think it's too short. And then everyone was out there saying, oh, it's fine. He's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't fine. Six-week camp, 10 weeks out from a brutal fight where he was almost stopped and took a lot of punishment against a much bigger, stronger, faster, younger guy. And then he had to get on the scale four times to make weight. Now, there's some conspiracies flying about about the calibration of the scale and that the scale was off by a pound. And he was either the scale Sergey's team was using in their hotel room to prepare for the weigh-in. That was off by a pound or maybe even the official scale. So whatever. Either way, four attempts to the scale to make weight Six-week training camp, just fought 10 weeks ago. Those are the reasons. They're all part of it. Also, he was knocked out last year by Edladir Alvarez, dropped three times and knocked out. He's, he's been dropped in many fights. I think Blake, uh, Blake Campolero dropped him way back when he was still crusher. Sergey's been dropped. Sergey's been hit before. The punch resistance is gone. That's all that happened, guys. Sergey Kovalev is a natural athlete, doesn't do steroids, not getting any artificial help. Natural athlete in his late 30s, who's taken a lot of punishment both in and out of the ring, you know, lives hard outside the ring. He's an old guy coming off a short camp, a brutal fight only 10 weeks ago. He was boxing well early, but he eventually got worn down and stopped by a younger, stronger guy who's a lot faster with his hand speed. What is so freaking controversial about that or so unbelievable about that that you have to jump to a fight being fixed and the Illuminati were in? Hey, here's an idea. Hey, here, okay, guys, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to get this Russian guy to come here, but we're going to let the UFC New York uh, fight play out. We're going to make the fans here in the arena wait for 90 plus minutes and everyone watching at home wait for 90 plus minutes. And then we're going to wait until the 11th round and we're going to let Canelo land three hard punches on this guy and knock him out. That's the script. We're going for it. What do you say, Canelo? What do you say, Sergey? Come on, man. You guys need to stop with this shit. You need to grow up. Okay? Sometimes shit just is the way it is. Now, having said everything I said, where does Canelo go pound for pound from here? Does he move up to number one? Because that's what everyone keeps saying. Currently at the Ring Magazine, we have him rated number three. And I'll give you guys an exclusive right here watching. um, Oh, you know what? In our world ratings at Boxing Monthly, we have Canelo Alvarez number one. And of course, we don't have the updated light heavyweight ratings. But does Canelo move up? Does he move up to number one, number two? MJB Taco says, it's all a simulation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are people who believe that. You know, this is all the Matrix. We're outside the Matrix. I don't know why I'm making the Matrix British. It's kind of Australian, actually. I don't know where that came from. Okay, focus, Mike. Canelo Alvarez, does he move to number one right now? I don't think so. Here's why. I'm impressed I'm impressed that he stopped Kovlev. Remember, I told you guys right here it was going the distance. And it really was up until those shots to the side and temple of the head that discombobulated Sergey Kovalev and scrambled his senses. I thought it was going to go the distance. 
It didn't. Canelo stopped him. That bit of it impressed me. It did. The adjustments Canelo made to go up top instead of going to the body because Sergey was paranoid about the body punches. Even though he told everybody in the media all during fight camp, the body punches don't bother me. I could take it to the body. He sure didn't fight that way. I was impressed. However, we have to put this in perspective. Again, I'm going to beat this dead horse to the ground. Kovalev fought 10 weeks ago, barely survived a prospect. He was knocked out badly last year. Six-week training camp, four attempts on the scale, 36 years old, hard life in and out of the ring, okay? The dudes, clearly, he does not take a punch like he used to. The shot that, here's some proof for you guys. The shot that really hurt Sergey in this fight, the right hand to the side of the head, Jean Pascal landed that shot against Kovalev several times. Jean Pascal, an actual light heavyweight. Other light heavyweight fighters during Sergey's prime nailed him with shots right on the chin, and he was able to take it. His punch resistance is gone, guys. He's not the same dude. So Team Canelo targeted him for a reason. Of the top light heavyweights in the world, he's, Kovalev's the most vulnerable, but he's got the biggest name. That's why they went after him. So Rocky Fielding at 168 means shit. Literally, a shit that I took this morning after drinking coffee means more than Canelo's title at 168. It really, it really does. Probably heavier too. Too much info. Sorry, moving on. 175, this win over Sergey Kovalev. It matters. It's a good win. It looks shiny and pretty, and that title was legit. However... I can't move you up pound for pound, dude. Everyone's making a big deal about Canelo moving up two divisions and fighting this old man and knocking him out. Good win. I'm not hating on it. But Lomachenko's been doing that for over a year now. Lomachenko is a natural featherweight. He could make 126 right now if he wanted to. Canelo admitted after the fight with Kovalev, he can't make 160 no more. It'd be a real struggle and he doesn't want to do it. So... Lomachenko, who in his late 20s debuted as a professional at 126, now in his early 30s, is fighting at 135 and fighting the top guys in the division, cleaning it out. He wanted Mikey Garcia. Mikey ducked to go fight Errol Spence to get paid. Uncle Al slipped him some money under the table, made all that happen. But Lomachenko's doing what Canelo did this weekend, only he's fighting the best guys in his division. He's staying at 35 and cleaning it out. He's going to fight the winner between Comey and Lopez and probably beat them. And then they might move back down. Who knows what he'll do from there. But in my opinion, Lomachenko has just done more. Canelo's win over Golovkin in the rematch, highly disputed. Whether you feel he won or not, you have to at least admit it was neck and neck, life and death with Golovkin. And then in the first fight, 90 plus percent of fans and media feel that Golovkin won that fight. Okay? So it's not as if Canelo's been bulldozing the competition. Okay? It is impressive. He has improved. He is one of the finest three or four fighters in the world, pound for pound. But he's never cleaned out a division. He's only become the lineal, legitimate champion in one division, and that's middleweight. And that's because he got some very favorable scoring against Golovkin in that rematch in Las Vegas, where he's received favorable scoring in multiple fights in that jurisdiction, Texas as well. So a questionable win over Golovkin last year, beats Rocky Fielding, who gives a shit, moves up to 175, beats Sergey Kovalev. That's pretty impressive. 
It's not as impressive, in my opinion, as what Lomachenko is doing at lightweight right now. It's close, not the same. I'd like to see Canelo clean out a division, fight the best. If Canelo fought Arthur Betterbiev and beat him, pound for pound number one, no argument, one of the greatest Mexican fighters of all time, that completely changes the discussion. Completely changes it. He ain't going to do it. He's the new Floyd Mayweather. What impressed me about Canelo, who was basically pulling a Floyd Mayweather 10 rounds through his fight with Kovalev, is that in the 11th round, he got him out of there. He made an adjustment and went for it. That's something Floyd Mayweather never really did. So in some respects, you could make an argument that Canelo's the new Floyd, but he's a much more entertaining and much more complete version offensively. Defensively, he still gets hit more than Floyd did. Okay, so I can't call him a better fighter than Floyd, but he provides you more value as the guy right now than Floyd did. And he does it on the zone where you're not paying 80 bucks a pop. His fight with Rocky Fielding again didn't move the needle. This fight with Kovalev moves the needle a little bit, but dude, Lomachenko's just done more. In the, over the last two, three years, in my opinion, Lomachenko's done more in a pound for pound sense than Canelo Alvarez. That's the way I see it. Am I crazy or am I not? What say you? All right, guys, a few questions, and then we're going to wrap this up. All right, and then we're going to be back on Thursday for a preview of what's coming up this weekend. Harry Brock says, Alexander Usyk is higher rated than Saul Alvarez. Look, man, you could absolutely make that argument. I mean, some, a lot of people hate on Usyk, but the way he cleaned out cruiserweight and did that so quickly and so dominantly, he had a close fight with Marius Bredis, but that was a style thing, okay? Everyone else he owned, the way he cleaned out cruiserweight, that, that matters, you know what I'm saying? That really matters. So, yeah, I could see where you could have uh, Alexander Usyk rated above Canelo Alvarez. I, sh- I got to add this, though. The names on Canelo's resume are better than any current active fighter right now other than Manny Pacquiao. Manny has the best resume in terms of names right now. Canelo's number two. If you look at most of Canelo's wins, though, very close fights. Several times people were saying, dude, that could have went either way. So that matters. It's not just winning. It's how you win. That matters. Jamil says Loma and Crawford are head-to-head for number two pound for pound. Yeah, I mean, look, the top five is pretty easy, right? The top five right now is Lomachenko, Crawford, Canelo, Usyk, and maybe um, maybe Inoue, especially if and when Inoue beats Donito Donaire, which will be later this week. So that's your top five. Like, that's pretty clear. Now, Wherever you rate them, like the order and stuff, that's really just a personal preference thing. It is what it is, okay? Gideon P. asks, you're going to watch Inouye versus Donaire at 5 a.m. Eastern, LOL. Probably not. Probably not. I will be getting up at 7.30 that morning to go jog. So maybe I'll get up a little earlier and go run at the crack of dawn. That might be kind of interesting. Yeah, maybe I will. We shall see. Maybe I could do a... A quick live video for something like that. I don't know, man. It'll depend on how I feel. These two-a-days I'm doing in the gym right now are kicking my ass. I'm just trying to get myself back in shape. 
Good Stuff says a really good boxer beats Canelo. It's going to take a special fighter right now to beat Canelo. And by the way, after seeing what Canelo's done to, let's say, Sergey Kovalev, who, again, well past his best and everything, but still a good fighter who will probably wind up in the Hall of Fame. How, how good does that first fight between him and Golovkin look for Triple G right now? Triple G beat him that first time around. And he really, there's such an injustice was done to him the same way an injustice was done to Kovalev in that first fight with Andre Ward. It sucks right now the situation these fighters from Eastern Europe are going through, not always getting the benefit of the doubt when it comes you know, to them going up against the establishment, but it's paving the way for future fighters that will come uh, you know, in the years to come and probably get the nod in some of those close fights. Richard Reaper says, Canelo cleaned out all their dirty beef out of Mexico. Oh, Timmy Turner says, hashtag Mexican beef. Hey, for what it's worth, for what it's worth, there was VADA testing for this fight and nothing abnormal came up. Now, I have to add a little caveat to that. There was a brief period late this summer before the fight with Kovalev was announced where Canelo Alvarez, it was maybe a month or two, I think two months, might have been actually 10 weeks or something. Anyway, he was doing no drug testing. So I just put that out there. But for this fight, for all of the, the camp, which by the way, was short because it was announced very late. Uh, <laughs> you know, there was VADA testing. So, you know, give him credit, guys. MJB Taco says, hashtag Italian sausage. I know what you're talking about, MJB. I'm not going to go into detail there. That's an inside joke. (laughs) Oh, shit. Uh, Anyway, you know what? SSV28 says Canelo will make Callum Smith weight drained. That's a good comment. I'm going to end on that because one of you guys, I'm sorry. I I, I lost my train of thought because I was supposed to get to who he's going to fight next, where he's going to go. Because one of you guys was asking about that earlier. I think he's going to 168. And I think the natural next step for like big name recognition, you know, that sort of fight, but, you know, kind of more winnable. I think it's Callum Smith. It's crucial to saying he should fight Charlo. That's just not going to happen, especially at 160. And Charlo's not going to move up and fight Canelo. I think it's very possible he fights Callum Smith. It's possible a third fight with Golovkin, maybe next year at a catchweight, you know, 168 or maybe 164 or something. Might be the full 168 limit. But I think a fight with Callum Smith would be particularly big, especially if Canelo were willing to go over to London. If he wanted to add to his lore and his legend, getting on the road, leaving Vegas, going over to London, fighting Callum Smith there, that'd be a massive statement. And style-wise, I think he'd have a real, I think he'd be favored. I really do think he'd be favored. Canelo would be light years better than any opponent Callum Smith has faced. And Canelo's fought several tall, long guys now and looked pretty good. So he didn't look great against Kovalev, but he, you know, from the middle to late rounds, he started to look pretty good. That would be really cool. If he fights Callum Smith, which I think is very possible, what I fear is that they'll bring that fight to Vegas. British fans love to go to Vegas. And that, yes, there would be some sort of catch weight. And they take two pounds off of Calm Smith or something like that. It's very, very possible. All right, guys, that's it for um, 
Oh, you know what? One more comment from Gail here. He says, she says, it's also possible Canelo fights Lemieux at 168. That would give Lemieux a reward under the Golden Boy Promotions banner. He's been a decent soldier for them. Absolutely, Gail. Great point. And they've been trying to set that up for a couple years. They really have. Golden Boy Promotions has wanted to do that fight, but Lemieux has had issues with injuries and weight problems and stuff. At 168, it's a doable fight. We absolutely could see that next. All right, guys, that's it for tonight. Um, remember, we are on Boxing or Podcast Addict. So look for us there, Android users. Spread the word. And let's do it uh, Thursday night. We'll do the fight preview. All right, see you at the fights.